This evening we have two readings. The first reading comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is God's word. And the second reading comes from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did, when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is God's word. My name's also James, if we haven't met, um, but I didn't write these verses. And shall we pray? Shall we pray together? Father God, we praise you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. Father, thank you that we can come and we can hear what you have to say. And so I pray that you'd give us hearts that are soft and ready to listen. I pray that you'd give us um, minds that are ready to understand. And I pray that you'd give us lives that are ready to live what your word says. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've probably noticed that the Olympics have started. And I want you to imagine that at the end of the service, I come up to you. And I'm deadly serious. I look you straight in the eye and I say, I am the best weightlifter in the world. Now, I suspect I might get a reaction a bit like that. I don't know why. People might laugh at me. But if you're a little bit kinder, you might say, why don't you show me? Show me. Show me that you are the best weightlifter in the world. Why don't you go to Rio and show me that you can lift the heaviest weights? Show me that you're not just speaking words, that there's action to back it up. 
Show me that your words are not just words, there's action as well. Of course, it's a bit of a silly example, but let's say that over the summer you're, you're flying somewhere to go on holiday to get some of the sun. And there's a pilot who is all words, but no action. That is, he says, I can fly a plane, but has absolutely no idea how to do it. Would you want to be on that plane? All words, no action. It's very dangerous when you're flying a plane. But what James wants to say to us this evening from these verses is that there's a sort of Christianity that is all words, but no action. There's a sort of Christianity that's all words and no action. Look down at verse 14 that we just read. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Someone claims to have faith. They've got the words, but they have no deeds. Can such faith save them? The way that's worded demands the answer no in the original. That faith can't save them. It's all words, but there's no action. And really, there is just one point that James is making all the way through these verses, which is that a faith in Jesus Christ that does not produce a life of good works is dead and it cannot save you. That's what he's saying. He says it a number of times throughout. So we've already seen it in verse 14. But look down at verse 17. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Or verse 20. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Or again, verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's just the same point again and again. A faith in Jesus Christ that does not produce a life of good works is dead and it cannot save you. That's the point that he's making. And to make that point, he brings four case studies to our attention. Four different case studies. The first two show us what dead faith is like, things that characterize a dead faith. And the second two case studies, he shows us, well, this is what living faith is like. And he gives us some examples. And so the purpose of these verses is to keep everyone in the room here this evening away from a dead sort of faith. To keep us away from a dead faith, to have a living faith in Jesus Christ. Whether you're not a Christian here this evening and you're looking, what's authentic Christianity? This will show us what living faith is like. And if you are a Christian, this will help us to see what is dead faith. So we're going to work our way through the four case studies. There's an outline on your sheet that will help. That's where we're going. So firstly, looking down at verses 15 to 17, we'll see that dead faith is just empty words. Dead faith is just empty words. Look with me at verses 15 to 17. James says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So the scene is simple. There's a a Christian who comes into church and they're clearly in need of food and they're clearly in need of warmth. And someone else comes up to them and says, great, fantastic that you're here. Go away. Go in peace. Go in peace is sort of a, it's religious pleasantries. This is what Jesus said after he'd healed people. So it has real content behind it when used properly. So it sounds right. Go in peace, brother. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Go away. Be well fed. Go in peace. 
But what's the problem? He does nothing about it. He does nothing about their physical needs. And we all know in the room that's inadequate. So what? You say, go away, go in peace. But there's no, here's some clothes, here's some food, here's some money. There's no no action behind it. And James says that's inadequate. It's empty words. There's no action to back it up. The words just disappear into the air. They mean nothing. And so the conclusion, verse 17, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, why is it that true faith always produces good works, actions? Why is it? Well, back in chapter 1, verse 18, we're told that we're born to new life through hearing God's word, which is the message of Jesus Christ. We're born to new life through God's word. And then he works that through and says, in response to that same word, we hear the word and then we do it. So the word comes, we have new life. Then in response to the word, we hear it and change. And at the end, he, verse, uh, chapter 1, he gives us three ways that works out. So he says, true religion consists in having a tight rein on your tongues. Religion is about being, um, religion our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look at after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So the word comes to us. We hear it and we change. And then that means we live a life that has a controlled tongue, compassion in our hearts, and is unstained from the world. That's how it works. So what happens if there is no compassion? So a person comes in and we don't offer them food and drink. What happens? What it means, if you trace it back, well, the word in the first place didn't come to us. It's dead. Now with all this um, stuff going on about Pokemon Go, it reminded me of my childhood when I had the original Game Boy and used to play the original Pokemon games on that Game Boy. And it had kind of four batteries at the back that kept it powered. And so it'd be frustrating, you'd be playing and then it'd run out of battery and you have to go and change the batteries. Now in my house, that's always a slightly dangerous thing because you go downstairs and you open the battery drawer, which everyone has, and you pick out a battery and you change a battery and then you turn it on and it doesn't work. Because someone in the family has put a dead battery back into the battery drawer. But you know it's a dead battery because the thing doesn't work. Because batteries are supposed to give power for the Game Boy to work. And James is saying that it's like that with faith in Jesus Christ. When it's in us, it should empower us to do what is good. And so if we find that there isn't good coming from us, well, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Faith in Jesus is supposed to produce a changed life. And if there's no changed life, well, what conclusion can you come to? If there's no compassion... Faith by itself, says James, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. One of the more disheartening moments I've had at a church, not this church, um, I was visiting a a church and um, after the service there were a group of us talking and we were having a conversation with a woman who was in the church Um, and as we got talking it turned out that she was ill and had been suffering for some time in the church Um, and as we were talking a bit more through her tears, she explained her experience of being in that church and she said, it's as if nobody cares. Now I know that that church says the right things. It prays from the front for people who are ill. It offers words of sympathy. On its website, it would no doubt say it's a caring community. And yet her experience was... 
it's as if nobody cares. Now, what would James say to such a church? Just words. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. See, empty words are not enough. Of course, it's it's easy to to see this on a big scale in the UK. So 44% of people in the UK would say they're Christians, would tick the box on the survey that says, yes, I'm a Christian. But do 44% of the country produce that changed life? But what about ourselves? So we know it's, it's easy to be around a church for a long time and get used to fitting in, knowing the right things to say, and yet does it produce compassion in our hearts? These are strong words, but it's what he says. Faith without works is dead. If it's just empty words, then it's dead faith. Or perhaps you've been on the fringes of church and you're, you kind of would call yourself a Christian, but what difference does that make? James would say, if it's just empty words, faith without works is dead. We don't want to be a, a church where people look around and say, it's as if nobody cares. So dead faith, in the first place, it's just empty words. The second thing you'll see about dead faith in verses 18 to 19 is it's mere belief, mere intellectual belief. So look down at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, after the challenge of the first few verses, I think James is imagining an objector who comes in and says, all right, James, that's a bit strong, isn't it? So you have faith. I have deeds. You're a faith sort of Christian. I'm a deed sort of Christian. We're all Christians here. It doesn't matter, does it? You're faith. I'm deeds. You know, you read books. I help at the soup kitchen. We're both Christians. That's all right. But James is having none of it. So again, look down at verse 18. He demands there to be evidence. He says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. He says to the so-called faith Christian, he says, but I can't see your faith. Where is it? Show it to me. Whereas to the deeds Christian, he says, well, actually, because I can see your deeds, I know there is faith. So you're a faith and a deeds Christian. Your faith has produced those deeds. You do stuff. But the faith Christian, on the other hand, where is your faith? I can't see it. There's no actions to back it up. Now, to show us that a mere intellectual belief, just saying, oh, I'm a Christian, is is not enough, James takes us, perhaps where you wouldn't expect, he takes us to the demons as his example, which is a bit strange at first, but it's actually a genius move when you think about it. Because we know that the demons, well, they do nothing that's good. There's no good works in the demons. And yet, what they know about God, their mere intellectual belief, is spot on. So verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good. Well, even the demons believe that. So the demons know about God. They know lots of things about God. I mean, you might remember in Luke chapter 8, Jesus crosses over the sea and goes to see this man who's possessed by a demon. And as he approaches, this demon has caused utter chaos in the life of the man. Utter chaos. He is 
um, living in the tombs. He's cutting himself. It's utter chaos the demon has produced in the man's life. And as Jesus approaches, what happens? The demon-possessed man comes and falls flat at Jesus' face and says, I know who you are. You are the son of the most high God. And at this point in Luke's gospel, the demon is the one who understands Jesus perhaps better than the others, who knows who he is. The demon knows who Jesus is, and yet what's it produced? Nothing. Instead, he's terrified of Jesus. And so verse 19, the demons believe and they shudder. You see, a a mere belief, a mere intellectual belief, it doesn't make you have living faith. It doesn't make you have living faith whatsoever. In fact, if you're consistent, it will just lead you to shudder before God, like the demons. I think it is surprisingly easy to think that knowing things about God is what constitutes living faith. Knowing things about God is what constitutes living faith. For myself, I know it's a constant struggle that knowing what the Bible says, or going to a good church that teaches the Bible, or reading good Christian books, which are all good things, but to think that those things mean that I know God and have a living faith. I find it easy to think that. But none of them mean your faith is living if it's just an intellectual belief. If it remains in the head but never affects the way that you live. It's not living faith. That's why we always insist when we study the Bible to ask the question, what difference does this make to how I live? Because it can't just remain up here, it has to come out into our lives. Because as James says, faith without works... Faith that action is dead. So those first two case studies show us that dead faith consists of empty words and just a mere intellectual belief. But what about living faith? What does living faith do? And for that we have to come to the next few verses, so 20 to 26. We come to see what it is that living faith is like. And I've put a summary there of what the, the, two, um, the two case studies are showing. Living faith acts on the promises of God. Living faith acts on the promises of God. So in these verses, James brings us to um, Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish faith, and to Rahab. So if you're a Jew, you think Abraham, he is, he is the greatest. He's the father of our faith. And Rahab, she's this prostitute who lived in Canaan, a pagan who converted. So he's kind of the greatest and probably the least. And I think James brings these two to us to show us that a faith that acts is not just for the super Christian. It's for every Christian. It doesn't matter whether you're the best or you think you're the lowest. It's for every Christian, a faith that acts. And a living faith, he says, acts on the promises of God. So let's look down at Abraham, first of all, in verses 20 to 24. Abraham. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So we have to jump back into the story of Abraham for a moment. You might um, need to know important background. In Genesis chapter 15, 
Abraham is given a promise. He doesn't have any children at the moment. And the promise is that one of his children will have lots more children and will become part of a line that will be as countless as the stars in heaven. So it's a man who has no kids and his wife is beyond the age of childbearing. This amazing promise. Your, your son is going to produce a great nation. So it says in Genesis 15 then that Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the verse that he quotes in verse 23 of our passage. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is straight after the promise is made. But how do you know Abraham's belief was not just empty words or just mere intellectual belief? How do we know that? Well, James says, look at his actions. His actions show that he believed the promises of God because he acted on them. And so he takes us to a scene decades later. His son Isaac has been born. This is Genesis 22. And Hebrews 11 that we read earlier explains what's going on. And in Genesis 22, God says... Take this son, Isaac, the one in whom all of your great nation will be born. Take this man, Isaac, your son, and kill him. That's what God says. So God has said, your son is going to be a great nation, and then now go and kill him before he's had any children. What do you do if you're Abraham? Well, Hebrews says, that we read earlier, Hebrews 11, that Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead if he killed him. Abraham believed God would raise him from the dead because he trusted in the promises of God. And so he obeyed the command and was about to kill his son. And if you know the story, God brings a replacement in at the last minute. But Abraham acted on the promise of God. He knew God had said Isaac is going to have, going to have many children, be a great nation. And so he acted on God's promise. And look down at verse 23, because it is a rather wonderful verse, I think, at the end. He was called God's friend. You remember the demons who shudder. Abraham was called God's friend, the one who had living faith, who acted on God's promises. He was called God's friend. Now, just for a moment, we're going to step out of James, just to address a question that often comes up about how faith and our actions work together. Because it's confusing. If you come lots, you'll hear from the front, we say again and again, it's not about our works. Our works don't save us. It's not what we do that saves us. And yet here's James saying, we need to have works. How does that work? And if you've read Romans or kind of remember Paul saying a few things in Romans, you remember him saying, we're saved by faith alone. And then at the end here in verse 24, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So is there a contradiction, James and Paul? That's the question. Well, to work out how faith and works come together, I think Jesus gives us a really helpful picture when he talks about a vine. He talks about a vine. So you think about a vine, that's got a, the vine is the tall bit, and then there's branches that come off it, and there's fruit that grows on the end of it. That's a picture that Jesus gives. A vine with branches and fruit. And if you like, Paul when he's teaching, is sitting in a classroom of students and he's asking them the question, what is it that makes a branch alive? And one of the students at the back is putting their hand up and says, the fruit makes the branch alive. And Paul is going, no, it doesn't. 
the thing that makes the branch alive is it's being attached to the vine. That's the only thing that makes the branch alive is if it's attached to the vine. Forget the fruit. The fruit doesn't... Don't need to think about the fruit. When you're working out whether a branch is alive, you ask, is it attached to the vine? And it's like that because the vine has all the good things that the branch needs. All the, all the things that it needs to keep it alive. The water, the nutrients and everything else. And, he sa- and I say that because it's a picture of what it is to be a Christian. Jesus Christ is the vine. In him is everything spiritually that we need for life. Everything is in him. Forgiveness of sins, the spirit to dwell in us comes from him. Access to God is in him. Everything we need for spiritual life is in Jesus. And so if you're attached to Jesus, that is what makes you alive. That's the only thing that makes you alive. Your works don't contribute anything to that. It's being in Jesus, faith in Jesus that makes you alive. So while Paul is saying that, James is addressing another question. He's taking a group of students out into a vineyard, looking around lots of different vines. And he's saying, okay, students, tell me which ones are dead and which ones are alive. Now, how do you do that? Well, you know a branch is alive if there are fruit growing on it. That's how you know it. Because you know that a living branch always produces fruit. And so that's what James is doing here. He's saying, it's not that being in... Uh, it's not that the fruit makes you a light, makes you a Christian. Only being attached to Jesus makes you a Christian. But if you are attached to Jesus, you will always produce good works. You will always produce good works. And if you don't, that's a sign that it's dead faith. So the relationship between faith and works. Faith is what saves us, is what makes us alive in Jesus. But works are always produced as a result of that, as the fruit of it. Which is why faith without works is dead. And it's why faith alone is what saves us by bringing us to Jesus. That's how it works together. So back to the final of our case studies. Back to Rahab. Look down with me at verses 25 to 26. And again we see that faith, living faith acts on the promises of God. So he says this. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So the second example shows us the same thing. If you were with us earlier in the summer, we looked through the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, we see Rahab. And in Joshua chapter 2, Rahab knows the promise of God. that That God has given the people the land. And so she acts on that promise. And she switches allegiances. And keeps the spies safe. And it's her actions keeping the spies safe that shows that she has believed and acted on the promises of God. Living faith acts on the promises of God. Now what that means is that, let's say for a moment that I were to hire a private investigator to follow you. Now I'm not going to do that because it would be a strange thing to do. But let's say that I did that and he followed you around for a month. Living faith would see again and again you acting on the promises of God. That's what it would see. So we've already seen, haven't we, in James chapter 1, that as James is talking about trials, what do you do when life is hard? Well, he gives promises. Promises that in trials, God is working to produce maturity in us, which means we can have joy even in the hardship of trials because we know God is working in us. 
And we've seen that we can pray to God in trials because God always gives generously wisdom to those who ask. And we've seen the promise that God gives a crown of life to those who persevere. So what would the private investigator see as they look at someone who's in a trial? They would see joy in trials because that person is acting on the promises of God. They would see praying to God in trials because that person is acting on the promises of God. They would see perseverance, keeping on going, because that person is acting on the promises of God. And actually, I guess for for many of us, that is what you'd see if you looked at our lives. For many who have gone through trials this past year, if you're looking for signs of living faith, you would see those sorts of things. Because living faith acts on the promises of God. We could work through a thousand different examples because God is so generous and gives so many different promises to us. But living faith will always act on those promises. So there are the four case studies, the four case studies that show us about dead faith and living faith. The question is, how do we respond when we read something like James chapter 2? Because the words are really strong. You can't hide away from them. The words are strong. How do you respond? Well, it slightly depends on who you are. Because I, I guess in a room this size, for some people, this should be like a fire alarm going off. It's a heavy warning. You know that your Christian faith perhaps does consist of empty words, does consist of mere intellectual belief. Perhaps there are others who can remember a time when they did produce good works and perhaps it's drifting now and doesn't seem to be what it once was. These verses are a warning. I I don't know how to say it any more clearly than James does. What good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? That sort of faith is of no use to you on judgment day. If that is you, then I guess this evening you need to turn from that. Turn from that. Firstly, turn to Jesus Christ, the one in whom there is all spiritual life. Turn to him first. Be joined to him. And then as you're joined to him, produce a life of good works. Act on his promises. Hear the warning that faith without works is dead and turn to Jesus first and then produce a life of good works. Of course, actually in a room like this, there'll be many who do have a living faith. There'll be many who do have a living faith. One of the the great joys of being in a KG group in our midweek groups during the year, is that as we spend time together and share our lives together and we hear what's going on in one another's lives, what we get to see week by week is how people in our groups are standing on and acting on the promises of God. That is what we see as we pray for one another and see each other's lives. And so particularly if you know that you're someone of a more tender conscience, going and speaking to someone in your KG group and asking them, look, have you seen me? Have you seen me acting on God's promises this past year? That might be a wonderful thing to do because what you'll find is they'll be able to say, do you remember? Do you remember when you were there? And that's what you did. Do you remember when there was those trials in your life and how you acted on God's promises? Do you remember that? That's a sign of a living faith. Of course, none of us do this perfectly. We fail. I mean, Abraham failed. If you read his life, he failed again and again. It's not about perfection. It's about consistent direction of acting on God's promises. 
And so keep on going in that direction if that's you. Keep on going in that direction. Keep on hearing God's promises and acting on them. Keep on doing that. And even when we fail, we can show our living faith by returning to the cross of Jesus. Because at the cross of Jesus, there is God's promise written in blood that there is always forgiveness for those who come to him. There is always forgiveness there. And so we show our, we show our living faith even in our failures as we come to God and repent and turn. So James says, as we come to an end, that a faith in Jesus that does not produce a life of good works is dead. It cannot save you. It cannot. It's strong words, and yet it's God's word. And so as we pray, I'm going to give us a moment just to think and reflect. And then I'll lead us in a prayer. Father, we feel the weight of your word, that a faith that does not produce a life of good works is dead. Thank you that your word is clear to us. And yet we praise you that in the Lord Jesus, there is forgiveness at the cross. We praise you that even in our failures, we can come again to him. But I pray all of us would hear these words and respond in faith that we would live and produce the good works, the compassionate heart, the lives that honour you, that these verses demand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.